0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to The Particular Baptist Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Vincent. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Also, check out our blog or slash website at theparticularbaptist.net. And as this is the month of Giving Tuesday, which is coming up soon, i mentioned to mention some ways uh, you could uh, support the ministry. If you are so inclined, you can do so at our Patreon page patreon.com forward slash the particular Baptist and I want to thank those already who are patrons to our tiers there thank you Uh, some of our tiers there we thank you very much for that Uh, if you're watching live on YouTube first of all subscribe if you haven't subscribed already but you can also uh, give via super chat if you want uh, to do so and I will call you out on the program and we also just released our storefront where you can buy particular Baptist merch so if you want to show off your confessional Baptist colors um, while supporting our ministry, that's a great way to do that. Um, you can find that on our Facebook page, our Twitter page, and um, our Instagram as well. But with all the marketing aside, I'm going to dive into our episode today. So taking a little bit, I, I guess, more of a exegetical episode today. But I want to talk about the nature of preaching and teaching as it relates to teaching and preaching the word rightly as being the word of God, right? Teaching the word is the word of God. And this really comes from the second Helvetic confession of faith, which is a 16th century confession of faith. I believe 16th century. I um, I might have to eat my words on that, but it's very early. Um, It's certainly before um, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. So you see this formulation of confessionalism starting to come out of the Reformation. You had the first Helvetic Confession, for instance, which precedes this one, which Martin Bucer, who was a friend of Martin Luther, helped to author. You see the Belgic Confession of Faith uh, coming out of the... Uh, coming out of holland or the netherlands at the time so you you see this confessional in the augsburg confession 1530 you see this progression in the the rise of confessionalism come up the scene now confessions are nothing new confessions have been around for a long time in some form however you see this more systematic formulation of doctrine in the reformation i think than you do uh maybe anywhere else in the church. Um, but, you know, you have the Nicene Creed, Chalcedonian Creed, Apostles Creed, etc., that are confessions in their own right, just maybe not in the same sense that you find in the Reformation and post-Reformation time. But we're focusing on an aspect of the Second Hovetic Confession. And my main source, at least from the historical perspective, is Ronald Bain's article in here from uh, Jiber's Journal of the Institute of Reformed Baptist Studies 2015. There's an article in here called Predicatio Verbi Dei Est Verbum Dei. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. Heinrich Bullinger or Bullinger in the Second Helvetic Confession. Very helpful in talking about this principle, um, and implications from it, etc. So there's there's a lot of good things here, but I want to read a section from the second helvetic confession of faith that's relevant to our discussion today it says quote wherefore when this word of god is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called we believe that the very word of god is proclaimed and received by the faithful and that neither any other word of god is to be invented nor is to be expected from heaven and that now the word itself." which is preached, is to be regarded, not the minister that preaches, for even if he be evil and a sinner, nevertheless the word of God remains still true and good. So you're seeing this focus on preaching that is coming up here from the second Hovetic confession of faith. Now in the confession itself, this was in the section on the word of God rather than a place such as the nature of the church or on a Uh, the specific role of a pastor, for instance. This is focusing on the Word of God and the Word of God's work and the instrumentality of preaching. And this is addressing the very nature of Scripture itself against the Roman Catholic understanding of Scripture, because you saw the Roman Catholics holding up their traditions on par with Scripture, right? And that the Roman Church was the source of theological understanding okay and you see the roman catholic church as well bent on keeping the scriptures outside of the hands of the common people right at least by and large they didn't want people to have the scriptures in their own language that's why you see men like john wycliffe who's long before the reformation but you see some of these sparks start to fly of reformation of The word of God needs to be in the hands of the common person. The word of God needs to be translated into the common tongue. There shouldn't just be a few elites in their ivory towers who get to say what the word is. God works through his word. So every person needs to have the word of God in their own language if they're to understand what God requires of them. So you can see this principle of preaching, which is the means God has used to primary means, I should say, of God getting his word to his people through the preaching of the Word of God. And by virtue of that, that means that they have to be able to understand what the Word is. So this goes against some of those Roman Catholic understandings of uh, the nature of Scripture and interpreting Scripture and ensuring that if God is to speak to his people, and preaching is a means of doing that, since we see here that Bollinger thinks that the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God, then they have to be able to understand that word. So this is trying to exercise those means that God has laid out in his word for how the the word is to be given to his people, but that means that the people need to understand it. Uh, So I think this is just flowing from that Reformation principle. The word needs to be exercised properly and the common people need to understand it. They need to see, hear, they need to know what the word is. How can you know the word if it's not in your tongue? Okay um what in and this isn't a push against tradition per se you know the roman church did hold tradition on par with scripture and they still do today and probably tradition is tradition is certainly superseding scripture at least in some places but i think what we're seeing here is the they're saying that the word is not limited to uh you know the means that god has laid out or the work of any institution the word works Uh, how God wants it to work, how he pleases. But God has ordinary means in place, such as through preaching, to bring his word to his people. Okay, and there's some terminology that is used here that we see uh, brought out from uh, Mr. Baines here. He talks about the normative word and the instrumental word, and this is key because we'll be discussing this as we go along here, talking about these different things but the normative word versus the instrumental word okay as it relates to the second helvetic confession fashion and Bullinger's understanding of it so the normative word is the word of god itself okay this is the plain text of scripture the words of scripture have laid out it's what you have i don't have my bible sitting here with me but you get the idea it's a, it's the plain words of scripture that we have in its form right this is the normative scripture But then you have the instrumental word, and this is the word presented to the people of God in its proper format. Okay. Now, one thing that Baines points out is that Bollinger was not about to have two normative standards. And Bollinger was, he was the author of the Second Helvetic Confession, or at least edited it, or at least one of the editors. But he was not about to have two normative standards, which would be the normative word, which is the, the written word itself. And that um, what is that which is preached to the people of God? He wasn't about to have two normative standards and say, well, you know, we got to pull from both of these streams. They're both equally on par with each other. No, he he saw this instrumental word as meaning the means of bringing the word rightly taught or rightly preached to the people of God is the word in as much as it's rightly taught and preached. So it's bringing the normative word to the people of God and it's called the instrumental word in that respect. It's not truly distinct from the normative word because you're just bringing the the normative word to the people of God, but it's how the word is brought to the people. Okay, so this means that preaching is nothing but bringing the ontological word of God in as much as that preaching was consistent with the normative word. So this raised preaching up to a level that, certainly the Roman church didn't have and put preaching front and center in worship because now the preacher's job is not just to teach, but now they're actually bringing the word of God to the people of God. Right? So that changes the entire dynamic of preaching and puts a solemn, sober minded understanding of it, that the preacher's job is to teach the word of God to the people. They're bringing God's words. They are the instrument of bringing God's words to the people of God, which is which is a, a serious task to do. And that changes the whole dynamic of, of what the word means. Uh, Michael Farrell said, you were a good teacher, brother. Oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I hope I'm coming through clearly. <laughs> I'm making sense and not just rambling on, but I appreciate uh, the encouragement and the compliment. I, I really do. Thank you, brother. So looking at, um, you know, the nature of preaching and teaching, I want to talk a little bit about this um, with respect to the normative word and the instrumental word. Okay, so let's look at um, kind of the biblical evidence of of preaching the word. And I want to I want to kind of make a distinction here. Um, I think you can identify teaching and preaching in one sense and use the terms interchangeably. But I think there's another sense where you can distinguish them um, in as much as the persons themselves uh you know one might not be a preacher but he can still teach the word and then one might be a preacher who is teaching and preaching the word so i i think you can make a distinction there although it's it's a minor one okay but bullinger he was focused on preaching as instrumental means god speaks to his people um but i don't think that the principle being taught here in the second helvetic confession uh here is limited to preaching, and it seems when you read the Second Helvetic Confession that Bullinger seems limited to preaching. He may not have. I, I you know, I haven't read all of Bullinger's writings. Maybe he talks about it more somewhere else. Uh, I don't remember seeing anything in here where Baines, um, where Baines flushes that out more. And I think Baines is just trying to discuss the principle of what is being taught in that confession. But I think the overarching principle we can take and apply not just to preaching, but also to teaching with regards to those who are not necessarily pastors, but are gifted brethren, as the second London Baptist Confession of Faith makes provision for uh, in terms of that role. Um, So I think we can take the broader principle and apply it in different places uh, while understanding that maybe the second Jehovah Confession doesn't actually uh, apply it in that way, but I think we can take the broader principle of the instrumentality of the word properly taught uh, and apply in other places. Okay, so if we're looking at preaching, we see I think First Timothy 3 is probably one of the best places to see. Um, you know, we're seeing First uh, Timothy 3 1 through 2 if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Okay. So we see for elders, a qualification is being able to teach. Okay. Now in the, in the scriptures, there is a distinction between those who are, you know, making their living by the gospel and those who are uh, simply gifted at teaching, you know, we have 1 Corinthians 9.14, which talks about those who do make their living by preaching the gospel. And then I'm going to make the case for uh, biblical, the biblical case for brethren who can teach as well. Um, so I don't think that just because you're an elder means you automatically have to be an ordained pastor. And I, I think that's a a, a identification that a conflation that people make sometimes that might make sometimes and, and one that I don't think is biblical i don't think you're going to be able to draw that from the text but at the very least an elder needs to be able to teach he needs to have the gift of teaching uh john gill in talking about verse 2 of first timothy 3 says this quote who was a considerable store of knowledge is capable of interpreting the scripture to the edification of others is able to explain lay open and illustrate the truths of the gospel and defend them and refute error and who is not only able but ready and willing to communicate to others what he knows, and who likewise has utterance of speech, the gift of uh, elocution, and can convey his ideas of things in plain and easy language, in apt and acceptable words. For otherwise it signifies not what a man knows unless he has a faculty of communicating it to others to their understanding and advantage." So the ability to teach is not just the ability to say the things that are in the scriptures, but it seems here that Gill is saying that you need to be able to communicate them effectively to people in a way that people can understand you, right? Um, so I think that's something that's uh, being taught. You need to be able to teach. You have the gift of teaching. That, that is a qualification for an elder and certainly for a preacher who would uh, you know need to be an elder if he is an ordained man of God uh, in that church. And, you know, like I said, for teaching here is used, I think, interchangeably with preaching in as much as that office, whoever the ordained pastor is, the, that man who is living, making his living off of the gospel is going to be someone who is called uh, to teach in that office and, and would be an elder. So you do you do see an identification of those two roles of teaching and preaching there. They're used interchangeably in. We do see, too. First Timothy, Paul will give the younger elder, the young elder Timothy, instructions for preaching. And since Timothy must have met the qualifications to be an elder and preaching is nothing but a form of teaching, our conclusion is they can be used interchangeably in this context. Okay, and Timothy in his teaching and exhortation was not bringing anything other than what Paul had taught him to do as it relates to the word of God. If you jump to Second Timothy 316, you can see that being brought out, that the word of God is the normative standard for how we are to live. And, and specifically, he applies it to the man of God, uh, which would in this case apply to Timothy, who was a young elder slash pastor. So this is the normative standard by which you're teaching, preaching, good works, etc., all to flow, throm, uh, flow from. So it's the word that's regulating that. And so timothy is bringing forth what paul uh, has said and paul's teaching was not contrary to that either okay so he's just bringing forth what uh, is consistent with scripture okay so in as much as timothy the young pastor was exhorting was preaching slash teaching the word he was bringing the very words of god to the people of god right he was bringing paul's words which Would have been consistent with the Old Testament scriptures that he said was the normative standard for for Timothy, for the man of God. So he's just doing nothing but preaching and bringing forth the word of God to God's people. So you can see the centrality of the word, and that's what's used to bring that. That's the instrumental means by which God speaks to his people, at least primarily, is through that elder led preaching. Okay you know, there's, there's no inventive methods that are used. There's no gimmicks. And this should be, and this is actually, I think, a, a warning to the modern evangelical church that if you're straying away from these means of bringing the word of God to the people of God in your churches by gimmicks and flashy shows and bands and whatever the case might be using those things in a way to lure people in, uh, that's not what we're to be doing as, as elders and pastors. That's that's not how we get the word of God to the people of God. We do that primarily through preaching and teaching. That's how we get the word of God to the people of God. And that's what Paul lays out for Timothy. It's constantly teaching sound doctrine, teach the word, exhort these people, uh, constantly Bring the truth of God's word to his people using the word as a normative standard. So it's very clear. uh, And if we stray from those things, uh, it's any wonder that the churches, you know, if you want to call them churches, are in the state that they are in because they deviate from the means that God has prescribed for how we're to uh, conduct church. So, you know, it, it shouldn't surprise us. Okay. And then we see. Um we see also uh second Timothy four, if we jump ahead a little bit, four eleven through sixteen, command and teach these things, let no one despise you for youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love, in faith, in purity, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that you all may see your progress. Keep a close eye on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So again, here's that exhortation from Paul. And he's not just saying, yeah, it's good. You know, you got to know a few terms or a few theological concepts. He says, immerse yourself in them, right? Practice these things, immerse yourself in these things. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Okay, so this could be used interchangeably with preaching in this case, because of Timothy's state as the pastor, quote unquote, lead elder at this local church, which I think was Ephesus, if I remember correctly. But he's to immerse himself in them. He's to uh, practice these things. The word is central and the sound doctrine is central. In how Timothy is to do his job effectively, and to neglect that is to neglect the role that God has called him to, which is to teach the Word to the people of God. And it's so important that Paul then says, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So it has a spiritual effect on the listeners and the person preaching and teaching if they stray away from sound doctrine. So it's, it's so crucial that uh, this is that the word is central and taught by the man of God uh, to the people of God every Sunday because of the spiritual significance of not doing that can have a disastrous effect upon the people in the church. Now, talking about teaching the word specifically, and I see, Michael, you have another comment here. Having the word in the common language was a big help as well. Yes, having the word in common language is certainly helpful because how can people hear the preaching of the word of God, which the scriptures clearly require, as we've seen here with Timothy, how in the world can that happen if the word of God is spoken in a different language that no one can understand? If if the mass is in Latin, how in the world are those people edified by that? And how can they know what God requires if they can't even understand the language? It's just ridiculous. So, yeah, you see this push away from these esoteric masses or these esoteric services, to where the common people had no clue what was going on or at least what was being said and moving towards pushing the word to the people translation making sure that the vulgar tongue uh, that the scriptures are translated in the vulgar tongue so they can understand what god has for them so yeah that's a very good point very good point it is interesting to see and last week at our church i just taught on um you know the reformation spreading throughout europe and I did bring this up, uh, if I remember correctly, just talking about how this, the scriptures were now being put into the common tongue and how that was very important uh, for the Reformation. So it, it definitely was a key aspect of it. And you definitely see it later in the post-Reformation, like in the 17th century, especially solidified and seen as important. Um, so, yeah, great point. So looking at teaching the word. So I make this distinction a little bit, a little distinction. Okay, if we look at uh, First Timothy one, if we look at the beginning of the book, one, three through four, Paul gives this instruction to Timothy. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God. That is by faith. That's from 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4. So part of Timothy's charge was not just to preach the word to the people of God, but also to teach the word in a corrective way. And this seems in the text to be distinct from just his normative duties as a preacher, preaching the word generally to the people of God, like the public reading of scripture and exhortation. But now he's focused on certain individuals, right? he's teaching certain individuals. He's not preaching in the, in the corporate sense of the term. He's now focusing on teaching these particular individuals that they are going astray and that they need to be corrected. Okay. So you do see a distinction here, I think, with regards to teaching versus preaching, that there is a teaching moment going on here for these individuals, and as distinct from the general preaching teaching ministry of that Timothy has uh, exhibited. Okay, so. And even in this, Timothy wasn't bringing his own words to the table, right? His own doctrines. But the proper doctrine is consistent with 2 Timothy 316, which would have been teaching the word of God to these men. So he's bringing that instrumental word, right? He's taking the normative word and bringing it instrumentally to these men via teaching so he's bringing this word to them and telling them what God says. He's correcting their false doctrine where they have deviated from the word of God and bringing that uh, to their attention and correcting them, hoping that these men repent, right? And you can see uh, this principle again, I think, in Titus, Titus 1, 9 through 11, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. And this is right after Paul gave qualifications for elders yet again, and this time in First Timothy, or I'm sorry, Titus chapter 1. But part of their job is to correct those in the church, to teach those in the church. And uh, and Paul says it's to be done by sound doctrine, which of course is the normative standard laid down in the scriptures, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, the man of God is to use and pull from. So this is the sound doctrine that's being utilized here. So Paul is being very clear that they're not to just come and teach these things to the people of God of their own authority. They're not to teach their own doctrines to these people and hold them over as if they're to obey them out of conscience sake no they're to do so by sound doctrine the word of god is being presented instrumentally as we're seeing here the teaching or the preaching of the word of god is the word of god second like hovetic confession sound doctrine is being instrumentally presented to these people so it is the word of god and as much as it's teaching the normative word okay so both preaching and teaching are ways of bringing that normative word to god's people Okay. So who may teach and preach, right? Who may teach and preach? You know, we've established preaching, we've established teaching, but who actually may uh, do these things? And again, the second Helvetic confession seems to indicate that the instrumental word only comes through preachers when it says lawfully called. Okay. And again, Bollinger may be using that term interchangeably with teaching. I don't know, but Uh, It seems that he limits it to preachers lawfully called. So, ordained ministers is how I take it. And I'd have to do more research to see what he specifically means by that. But just on the surface, it seems that he's referring to ordained ministers. Okay. Now, I do think, um, you know, I, I do think that the particular Baptists, especially the particular Baptists, we're definitely more clear later on about who may minister to wor- the word to the people of God. And in the second London Baptist Confession of Faith, there is definitely a discussion about this explicitly in the chapter uh, of the church. It's very, very clear who it is that is supposed to be teaching, not only those who are ordained, but also those who are gifted brother. OK, so it says in um I believe it's chapter 26, and of course, I didn't put the reference in my notes like I should have, but, you know, I got the text at least. It says, although it may be incumbent on the bishops or pastors of the churches to be instant in preaching the word by way of office, yet the work of preaching the word is not so peculiarly, peculiarly, peculiarly confined to them, but that others also gifted and fitted by the Holy Spirit for it and approved and called by the church may and ought to perform it. Okay, so there's a clear understanding here by this confession that pastors aren't the only ones who are able to preach and teach the word. There's also gifted brethren who have that gift and the church recognizes them and they call them. Um, And, you know, how that plays out, um, I think it's going to be different in different churches. But the principle is it's not just arbitrarily I assign myself. I get up there and I start preaching. There is some sort of a process that's gone through to approve these men. Okay. And Dr. Jim Renahan, in his, um, his wonderful commentary, got it right here. His wonderful commentary on the Second London Baptist Confession, uh, he kind of grounds the understanding of the confession in this notion. That the spiritual gift of the person should be exercised. So if it is for a man in the church that he is called to preach, yet not an ordained preacher, he shouldn't hide his gift. Um, and that was at least that was part of it from the confessions perspective. Now, of course, men are only able to teach and preach. Right. We see it. First Timothy two eleven through 12, for instance, you can see in First Corinthians 14 that women should be quiet, etc., However, we are in Scripture commanded to use our gifts where God has shown those things to us, and we're to do so within His church. If we look at uh, 1 Peter 4, 8-11, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And in context, Peter is laying out how Christians should conduct themselves in light of living in the end of all things. So this is how Christians should normatively live, right? This is how they should live. They're to love one another. they are two use their gifts in a way that is beneficial to the rest of the church, okay? And how? And this is another way that they can love one another. They're using their gifts benefit others in the church. So the implication would be, if you're not at church and you're not regularly attending and using your gifts, how can you be loving the brethren? You're not. You're not loving them, or at least not as you should be, okay? So you're using our gifts is very important when it comes to Church life and one of the gifts that Peter brings out here is speaking the oracles of God. And I don't know any other way to take that except either through preaching if they're called or through teaching. They're just they're speaking the oracles uh, of God. And he uses the, the term anyone may do this, right? If anyone uses the or uh, has this gift, they should bring the oracles of God to the people of God obviously with the qualifications of the gender roles where uh, women are not allowed to do that in the context of corporate worship. But you do see this blanket universal terminology being it was anyone, anyone can do this. Okay. So it's very important that, uh, you know, if we have the gift to do so, and we go through a process in the church to obviously vet this person. We don't just hand the mic to anyone who walks in the church who may have this gift. There has to be, a, you know, to, to make sure that they're teaching sound doctrine. And because of the seriousness of this, uh, it's it's very, very important that we, uh, you know, have that, that process in place. And I think that's why the particular Baptists had this process in their confession was because uh, they wanted to make sure that, Things were done properly and i think that's probably why you saw that okay so you know taking the principle of the second helvetic confession you know we can say that one properly called not just a pastor as the second helvetic confession applies is able to instrumentally teach the word to god's people so what are some as we close up here what are some implications for teaching and preaching being the instrumental word of god so you know, I, I think this is very important, especially myself as a, as a teacher, I teach. Um, usually we have these cycles at our church where we're going through different. Right now we're going through church history. We're about to go into uh, the book of First Samuel in our equipping hour class, which we is our Sunday school class is what we call it, equipping hour. But it should, when we're teaching the word, those of us who are teachers, we have to take these things seriously right? That's an implication. Teaching and preaching the word must be taken seriously because as I am teaching, I am bringing the word of God to the people of God where I am teaching the scriptures. And so what I say matters. What I say has, can have a spiritual effect upon the people of God. And what I say has eternal ramifications. It's, so it, you can't just get up there hold a the mic, and just ramble on, right? You have to have an understanding of the word, able to have a grasp on the things of god obviously that doesn't mean you're going to understand the word perfectly nobody does but there needs to be a you know a strong understanding of the word so that you are able to teach those things effectively to god's people that's very important um and so this makes a teaching and preaching a sacred duty right and and even scripture says that not everyone should be teaching and preaching james 3 1 right it's a sacred duty. You'll be held to a higher standard, those of us who teach, right? That's what the scripture says. Be held to a higher standard because of what you're doing, right? You're taking God's word and presenting it to the people of God. You're not just speaking on your own authority. And I think that's why the second Helvetic Confession says that even though the speaker may be evil, the word of God is still true. So the speaker doesn't change the word, but he needs to bring the, you know, if he he might be evil and he might be speaking at a turn, but he is still bringing the word of God, which is good and true to the people of God. The person, the instrument, isn't the problem, right? The word of God is still preached if it's preached rightly, but uh, still, we have to make sure that we are speaking rightly, those of us um, who teach. So there has to be a sober mindedness when you come, those who teach have to come. To the table with a sober minded understanding that the people of God are hearing the word when you're teaching the word. That this is not something uh, to take lightly and flippantly. It's something that we have to be serious about. That doesn't mean we're going to perfectly, teachers are going <coughs> to, excuse me, teachers are going to perfectly bring the word to the people of God. Absolutely not. But that should help us to strive towards being better at it, being. Help us to strive towards improving our understanding of the word, improving our teaching, etc. So that we're more consistent with the scriptures. Um, And again, our understanding of the word is going to be infallible. Um, You know, we're not going to have a a complete understanding of the word of God, but we're going, we need to teach what we are teaching uh, as correctly as we can. So doing our research making sure we're understanding the word rightly as best we can. All those things have to be uh, brought into there, okay? This also means on the receptive end of it, not just for the teacher, but this also has implications for those who are listening to the word, right? James one twenty two. be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, right? If you're to hear the word, Through preaching, or it could be through reading it, but preaching and teaching is a, as we've seen in Timothy, that's a way of bringing the word of the people of God, sound doctrine to the people of God. You're not only to hear it through your ears, but you're to do the word. So as the people in the pew are hearing their preachers bring the word of God through proper preaching. They need to have a sober mindedness, too, that they are hearing God speak to them through this vessel, this pastor. And then it's no laughing matter. It's no flippant it matter. But God is speaking instrumentally. His word is being proclaimed by this particular individual and they need to hear and then they need to act. Right. So it has implications for both parties, for the teacher slash preacher and for the people listening uh, in The pew so merely hearing the word is meaningless if we don't provide action in response to it right and as we become more sanctified this obviously becomes less of a problem right but it's something we should continue to strive toward and and continue to pursue Uh, we have especially in the united states we have the blessing of hearing the word freely preached every sunday and i think we take it for granted because it's something we just do and especially in american culture with uh this sort of judeo-christian morals being associated with our country's founding founding documents uh founding fathers there's this i think there's kind of this understanding that you just go to church if you're american especially if you're in the south that's just kind of what you do you go to church right But do we really understand what we're doing? We're hearing the word of God preached to us as long as it's faithfully done so. And this is God actually speaking to us. Do we stop and sit still and listen? Or do we walk away and forget what we heard? And I I mean, this is to myself as well. Just a reminder to continuing to listen to the word. When the man of God is speaking, we should be listening and be attentive. Because this is god speaking to his people and we should pray for our pastors too this should be a prayer point that god has put a responsibility on him to preach the word and so he needs to be uh you know taken to the throne of grace for wisdom that the spirit would guide him and lead him and help him to speak the word rightly because of the seriousness of the matter and that they are watching over our souls and and we should be thankful for that Anyways, that I think is all we have for today. Thank you for your attention. I hope this has been helpful and a blessing to you. And Lord willing, we will be back next week. I know it'll be a holiday weekend. um, So we'll kind of see where the chips fall, so to speak, uh, as it relates to the when and the where. But I plan to be back next Saturday as of right now. So we'll see what happens. Lord willing, we'll be back on Saturday. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Have a great uh, Saturday and a great West of your weekend. Take care.